The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, very good. How's everybody doing this morning? You good? Really good. Well, so glad that you guys are here this morning. Hey, just a, just a couple quick things real quickly. Um, can we thank our worship team? They do a great job leading us every single week in worship. A couple of you guys have asked me, in fact, I got a text message just a little while ago and said, hey, is, where's Tyler? Is everything okay? Tyler's our worship pastor here, a tall, redheaded guy. And Tyler's been speaking at Hume Lake Camps this past week. He's been gone the last two Sundays. He'll be back next Sunday. But uh, Andy and team, they always do a phenomenal job leading us. So grateful for our worship team. Now, if you happen to uh, bring a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're, we're going to do something a little bit differently this morning. If you've been around here a while, you know that we love to take a passage of Scripture, even a book, and we love to preach through that book or that passage. And this morning, it's going to be a little bit differently. It's going to be a, what we call a topical message, but we're going to address a question that you guys have asked. If this is your first Sunday with us, welcome. We're in a series called You Ask For It. This is a series where we let you shape the content of the sermon series. And so today we have a question that you have submitted, and it goes along with the question that we answered last week, if you happen to be here. And so I'm going to read the question for us. I'm going to jump right in, and I believe it's going to be good and instructive for us this morning. Let me read the question for us. This is the question we have before us this morning. It says, how do I apply the Bible to my everyday life? How do I grow? How do I care for my soul? So last week we had this question about uh, what I, I want to grow, but my heart is hard. And so, so how can God's word instruct me when my heart is hard? Today is sort of part two of last week's sermon. If you missed it, you can podcast it, you can listen to it. But today is sort of the extension of last week. And we're going to talk about how do we care for our soul? If you've ever made an attempt to read the Bible, if you ever made an attempt to study the Bible, try to figure out what it's all about, I don't know if, if this is you. I know early on in my walk with Jesus, when I would try to read the Bible and try to figure it out, it would seem just so confusing, right? You, you read a lot of stories in the Bible, and it sort of feels like, it sort of reads like a history book. And then you read parts of the Bible that, are, that have what we call genealogy. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. It sort of reads like this Ancestry.com report. And then you read certain characters in the Bible that are just grossly, grossly evil. And, and then you read other parts of the Bible that describe those characters and they describe them as faithful and, and people who sought God's heart. And you're like, I, I just, I don't understand what the Bible is about. And then maybe you read the, the first part of the Bible we call the Old Testament. And then you read the, the second half of the Bible we call the New Testament. You're like, man, these two seem so disconnected from each other. The God in the first part seems different from the God in the second part. And yet we ask these questions and we say, I know this scripture, this word, this text is foundational to growing, to, to tending my soul. So how is it that I grow? And for most of us, most of us that want to experience some element of faith, some element of, of growth in our life, we may be confused about the scripture. So we arrive at this place where we're like, you know what? I, I like the part about Jesus, I like what Jesus did. I like what, how he did it. And so we arrive at this conclusion about growth. Well, I'm just going to imitate what Jesus did and what Jesus was about. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. That is a very noble thing. 
It's a very commendable thing. And we can learn a lot about Jesus by imitating him. But my question to you this morning is if you've ever approached the Bible that way, how do I grow? Well, I'm just gonna see what Jesus did. I'm gonna do what Jesus did. My question to you this morning is that, is that really the best we can do with the Bible? Is that the best way to apply what the scripture says to my everyday life. It certainly seems like the most applicable thing to do, right? Watch what Jesus does, do what Jesus did, but is that the best way to grow? Is that the best way to care for my soul? And then we have to ask this question. Why do I need to grow spiritually in the first place? I know for some of you, that may sound like a strange question. Inherently, you just believe because all of life is growing into something. You may not be asking, why do I need to grow anyway? Because theologically, we have an answer to that. Yes, we need to grow. But just quite honestly, practically for many of us, that's not the experience we see in life. A.W. Tozer was the author of a book, a great book called The Pursuit of God. And this is what he said. We're caught in the spurious logic of thinking that having found him, meaning Jesus, we need no longer to seek him. So can I ask you another question this morning? What happens if we don't grow up? What happens if we don't grow up? You know this to be true if you have a kid, you ever babysat a kid, babies that are neglected eventually will die. Paul addresses a church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and that church is not growing. Now listen to what he, how he describes the church that is not growing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1, he says, you're jealous you're stingy, you're selfish and demanding. If anything goes wrong, you're screaming about where God is in your life. You demand miracles for proof of your faith. I can't talk to you like mature people, Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, because you're infants in Christ. Now, even though many people around us who may claim to be Christians are not growing and we don't grow, can I just posture before you this morning this very thought that I believe is true about all of us? I believe all of us are desperate for, for a real encounter with Jesus. I also further believe that most of us are probably tired of these sort of syrupy cliches about, about what, what it is that often passes for Christianity. And I want to say to us this morning as we begin, how we grow, how we grow as a believer must deal with two different realities. The glorious reality that we read in scripture, that we say we believe in, that we yearn for, and the hard realities of all of our lives every day. So the question before us this morning is, how do we grow up? How do we grow up? What are some of the principles in tending our souls that lead us to this real encounter with Jesus? So can I start this morning with a phrase, can I start this morning with a phrase that sounds very churchy, but it's going to frame everything I want to say this morning, and then I'm going to explain it a little more in detail. And this is the phrase, and I want you to write it down because it's so instructive for us as we consider the question, how do I grow? And here's the phrase. We must behold Jesus. We must behold Jesus. Sounds like a very churchy thing, Pastor. <laughs> Sounds like a, a very religious thing 
to say. Well, I, I could say, well, well, we need to see Jesus if we're going to grow. Uh, I could say, well, we just need to look at Jesus. We need to look to Jesus, but that really doesn't do justice to what's required if we're going to grow and if we're going to care for our souls. Um, have you looked at a quarter lately? I know you have. You probably look at one every single day. You looked at a quarter can I ask you a couple questions about that quarter that some of you have in a pocket in your pocket right now that you look at every single day? Do, do you know if you looked at that quarter, if you looked at the head side? First of all, do you know whose head is on the quarter? Secondly, if you do know whose head is on the quarter, do you know which way the head is facing when you look at that quarter? If you flip the quarter over and you looked at it, do you know what the image is on the tail side of the quarter? Also, do you know the words that are written above that image on the opposite side of the head on your quarter? Now, you know what a quarter looks like. You look at it every single day. You know what it looks like, but you probably can't answer those questions. Do you know why? The reason is because we don't typically look at the things that we're very familiar with. We don't typically look at the things that we're very familiar. We don't study the familiar. When, when it's familiar, listen, the intrigue to study it is typically stifled. But can I say to you this morning, that's exactly what's needed with Jesus. That's exactly what's needed with Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 16, the scripture says, now listen to it. For of his fullness, meaning Jesus... For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Now, now listen to how, listen to this phrase here. This is a phrase that describes Jesus. Sort of, I just get this image of this, these hot springs bubbling out of, uh, of this icy ground. It's a reservoir that never runs dry. Jesus is described here, sort of this, is this fountain of, of overflowing life. He's flooding our hearts with grace and with truth. Can I ask you this morning, do you see that? When you look at Jesus, there's danger in looking at Jesus but never really seeing him. There's danger in looking at Jesus but never really seeing him. So the Bible uses this great word. The Bible uses this extraordinary word that we should remember. It's the word that I let off with in this phrase, and the word is behold. Now, here's a text that I want to sort of frame this morning with. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I want you to understand what it's saying here. And the scripture says, and we all, with unveiled face, now listen to the text, beholding the glory of the Lord, listen to what it says, and we behold the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In scripture, when people behold God. Transformation is the natural result. What is beholding exactly then? Beholding goes beyond just looking. Behold goes beyond just seeing. Behold is to look at Jesus with consideration. Behold is to look at Jesus with appreciation, to look at Jesus with fixation, to let... Now here it is. I, I love this description. Behold is to let the weight of what we are seeing rest on our minds and on our hearts. And when people in Scripture behold God, 
When, when that happens in scripture, listen to what happens. Ezekiel chapter 44, verse four. Then he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the house. And I looked and listen to what he says. And behold, listen to what happens when he behold. The glory of the Lord filled the house. And here's what he says. And I fell on my face. When people behold God and his glory. They're transformed. John the Baptist, the first time he saw Jesus, John chapter one, verse 29, this is what he said. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Beholding God is not just seeing. Beholding God is not just looking. Beholding God is not just observing. It's not just a suggestion that we look at Jesus and imitate what he does. The word here tells us to look with consideration, astonishment, appreciation, letting the weight of it rest on our hearts and our minds. But you know, it's possible to look at Jesus and not behold him and not let the weight of what we are considering lay on our hearts and our minds. We look, but we don't really see. I was thinking about this as I was preparing the message this morning. There, there's, a, there's a season of the year. I have to be careful when I say, use these illustrations about my wife, because some of you go back and say, not what I said. So don't go back and say what I'm not saying, because I think she's in kids ministry this morning. There's a season during the year that that I love and, and appreciate my wife. Don't misunderstand me, I, I always do. But there's a season during the year when I, I just naturally love and appreciate her even more. Every summer we committed when we moved here that my wife would go back east and our kids would go back east and see our family um, every single summer. All of our family lives on the east coast and so when we moved here we said, hey, uh, we'll send you guys back to go see family every single summer. And those four weeks when my wife and my kids are gone, they're four of the hardest weeks of the year, but they're four of the best weeks for my marriage. Now let me tell you why I believe that. When my wife is gone, see, see, in the day-to-day routine and rhythm of what we do, I see all that my wife does, and I appreciate her for it. But when she's absent from that, I begin to think about everything that I love and appreciate about her. It, that, that absence is drawing my heart back to my wife. I think about the kind of loving and sacrificial mother that she is to our kids. I think about all the things she sacrificed to be away from her family when we moved to Los Angeles. Think about all the things that she does around our home to make it a refuge. I think about how she cares for our kids very specifically. I think about how she goes to these inordinate links to celebrate birthdays in our home. We have two birthdays in July. My wife goes to inordinate links to make sure our kids feel loved on their birthdays. When my wife is gone for four weeks during the summer, do you know what I do? I behold her. I consider her. I let the weight of that relationship rest on my heart and my mind. And and here's the thing. I see every day when we're around each other how she loves and appreciates me and our family. But when I stop to consider her, my affections, my affections grow deeper. Pastor Ray Ortland once told his congregation, stare at the glory of God until you see it. Some of you this morning are are having difficulty processing who Jesus is and what he really means. 
This pastor has such a good word for us because it's so easy in the day-to-day chaos of life to miss Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what the weight of it really means to our heart and our mind. And if you're having trouble this morning, you you see Jesus, you read about Jesus, you know he loved the neighbor, you know he did good things, you know he healed people, you see Jesus, but are you beholding him? Pastor Ray Ortland says, stare at the glory of God until you see it. It was possible for us to occupy our time with all of these cheap imitations of glory. It's possible to occupy our time with all these cheap imitations of glory. And those things are not just sin. They're not, not just outright sin. It's not just things like pornography and jealousy and greed and success. It can even be things like a belief in some sort of morality that's going to cause me to grow. And so we obsess our time over all of these cheap imitations of glory. And sometimes we think, well, if I'm just a moral person, and if I, I just behave the right way, that's going to sort of cause some sort of growth in my life. But can I say to you, when we occupy our time with these cheap imitations of glory, that's part of the reason why imitating Jesus is not sufficient for growing your soul. Why? Because your soul doesn't just need Jesus, the life coach. Your soul doesn't just need Jesus, the life coach. It needs to behold his glory. There's not enough power and glory in keeping rules. There's not enough power and glory in in some form of morality to sustain your souls. You know this to be true because you experience it every single day. If you drive the freeway and the speed limit's 70 and you do 75 every single day. We break rules every single day. That tells us that rules in and of themselves are not sufficient to change us truly and definitely. Listen, rules themselves are insufficient to power to empower us, to become more like Jesus. Think about this. If you have kids, if you babysit kids, you have rules in your home, and I'm not saying rules are bad. Rules are good. We have lots of rules in our homes. One of the rules is don't bring chaos into my home. Don't bring chaos into my home. That's specifically a rule for my oldest child. When he brings chaos, the rest of the house erupts in chaos. And so I have these rules in my home and all of us have rules and those are good things. If we don't have rules, that's another issue, but the rules are, are not a bad thing. Sometimes I give rules in my home and I think, my gosh, I should have just told them to do the opposite and they would have done it then, right? Like we understand this. Rules are insufficient I need their heart to change, not just their behavior. I I can force my kids' behavior to change. But even if I force my kids' behavior to change, their heart will still be callous towards what really is best for them. Scripturally, the power to change only comes from Christ, focusing on being just a moral person has the insufficient power to grow you and to change you. You need a more glorious vision. Listen to this vision that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, now if the ministry that brought death, now what Paul's talking about here is the law. This is the Old Testament. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. 
Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So we have the Old Testament law. We have Jesus coming and, and this new ministry. We have the Spirit of God. And it says, if the ministry that brought condemnation, the law, was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious, a lot of glories here, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, meaning the law, came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which last. If I could sum up what Paul just said here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Some of us think that if I just behave the right way, there's a glory in it. There's, there, there's just satisfaction of God towards me. But what Paul is actually saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is that beholding is better than behaving. Beholding is better than behaving. As crazy as it may sound to some of you guys this morning, if you try to make your entire Christian life about trying to look like a good Christian, that's a great way to become a terrible Christian. If you try to make your life about trying to become and look like a good Christian, that's actually a great way to become a terrible Christian. That's, that's sort of a counterintuitive way of thinking, isn't it? That's a counterintuitive way of thinking, especially to our moral conscience. But can I say to you this morning, the most direct route to God-honoring behavior is not good behavior. <laughs> Are you catching me? The most direct route to God-honoring behavior comes not from good behavior, but from good beholding. Not from good behavior, but from good beholding. Why? Behavior changes the hands. Beholding changes the heart. What we all need is not just behavioral change when we think about growth. We need heart change. And so the path to growth this morning is not simply to change our behavior. The flesh will always win. I wish I could tell you a story this morning about a roommate in seminary, but I don't have time about his, his, the sin that he became involved in and how he just described the flesh will always win and be opposed to rules. And so the path to growth is, is not just changing our behavior. The flesh will always win. The path to growth is not to alter our behavior. The path to growth is for God to change who I am. And don't get me wrong, there are times when we need to alter our behavior. There's times when we need to alter our behavior for the sake of purity. There's times we need to alter our behavior for the sake of safety. But ultimately, we need to change who we are. Now write this down. Growth happens when our desires are changed, not just when our behavior is changed. Change happens not just when our behavior is changed, but when our desires are changed. Changing our behavior has these roots in trying to, to seek out our, our, our own glory to be a better person, whether that's so that other people can see, so that God would, would be pleased. Changing our behavior has its roots in seeking out our, our own glory, but we need a more glorious vision for growth and change this morning. I'm not suggesting at all that you not pursue holiness, but I want to say to you, our ability this morning to actively, persistently follow Jesus should primarily be driven by our comprehension of his glory. 
That's what Psalm chapter 63, verse two says. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Beholding Christ's glory. It's the number one priority. It's the number one priority for following and growing in Jesus. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the text that we just read about beholding and being transformed, in order to become like Jesus, we must behold his glory. But we miss this encounter too frequently. We miss this encounter too frequently. It's like walking down the sidewalk and you see a penny on the ground and we just pass right by it. Why? Because it's commonplace. It has very little value. We don't even stop to pick it up. Reminds me of John chapter four, this woman who's lived in shame her entire life. She's lived in shame her entire life and she goes to this well to draw water. She goes during the hottest hours of the day. She goes during the middle of the day. She goes when there's going to be a time where she can avoid the crowds because of her shame. And there at the well, she meets Jesus. And right there in front of her, she's, she's face to face with Jesus. And she doesn't even know what she's thirsty for. And it was that encounter where Jesus said, Jesus answered her in John 4.10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you, listen, living water. We need an encounter like the woman at the well. Now, my time is up. <laughs> and I've got four more pages. So I'm going to breeze through this in literally four minutes, okay? I don't have time to unfold it. So this idea of beholding Jesus is the framework around how we pursue God. And so I, I just wrote three ways, that, and there's more than three, by the way, that I found helpful, and I believe are probably the three most helpful ways to behold Jesus, break through a hard heart, experience growth and intimacy with Jesus. So can I just give them to you this morning? If you want to write them down, and I can pass along these notes to you if it helps you later on. How do we behold Jesus? Number one, we listen to Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We listen to Jesus by listening. I mean, letting the Bible speak to you. I'm not talking about reading the Bible. I'm not talking about studying the Bible. I'm talking about letting the Bible read us. We typically approach reading the Bible as like this information exchange. I go to the Bible to learn something. The Bible contains the wisdom of God. There's more wisdom in this Bible than you could spend 10 lifetimes trying to understand. But the primary reason to read the Bible is not to learn stuff, listen to me, but to be stuff. But to be stuff. The Bible is given primarily to transform us, not just to inform us. And so the intent when we pick up this Bible the intent when we pick up this Bible and we read it is to allow our hearts to treasure God, to delight in God. It's hard. It's very hard. It's very hard to transform a hard heart when you listen to God through Scripture as if this is just a, a dry reference book. It's just a genealogy report instead of it being a wellspring of life that we drink deeply from. Psalm chapter 119, verse 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter 
than honey to my mouth. These are the words that come from a person who's learned to taste the words of God, to love the words of God. And for, for some of you this morning, including myself, for all of us, the Bible is typically an acquired taste. you have any acquired taste in your life? I've got acquired taste in my life. I had to acquire a taste for Mexican food once I learned to eat it and love it. I loved it. Uh, broccoli is an acquired taste for me. Hot sauce became an acquired taste for me. Listen, the Bible is like that. And some of us haven't discovered just how, how, if you'll allow me, how delicious it really is. But once you acquire the taste, you can't get enough of it. The more you feast, the more comforting it is. Like, it's like comforting soul food. If you're from where I'm from, soul, it's just comforting soul food. The less sweet everything else becomes. Martin Luther, the great reformer, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, um, the reformer, said, for the Bible is a remarkable fountain. The more one draws and drinks of it, the more it stimulates thirst. Pastor, why is it that I have such a hard time being excited about reading the words of God? First, can I just describe something very practically? The more commonplace something is, the less desirable it typically seems. When I'm driving on the freeway, I don't have to point out the Prius that passes us to my kids, right? But, 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 but you let a McLaren 650S pass, a, a Bugatti Veyron pass. I'm gonna point it out to my kids. Do you see? That car, the more commonplace something is, the less desirable it seems. The Bible in our culture is readily accessible on my phone, on my bookshelf. You came in my office at the church, at our offices, you'd see there's 10, 12, 15 Bibles just sitting behind me. There's more in my home. The more readily accessible it is that we don't have to break any laws to get access to it, the more commonplace it seems. Can I give you a second reason why it seems so difficult to be excited about? The second reason is more of a spiritual reason. And the reason is because our flesh has not yet totally been conquered. Our flesh hasn't totally been conquered. Our spiritual palate hasn't yet grown accustomed to, to, to heaven's menu, what God is serving in his words. Now, let me just say this, and I'm almost done. Several years ago, about 25 uh, friends of ours uh, who were in ministry, we have this gathering every year that we started about eight years ago. 25 of us gathered in Chicago, and we listened to the executive pastor of one of the world's largest and most influential churches. And he, and he told us, he began to narrate how they had recently comp completed a very thorough study of thousands of people within their church. And he shared with us after, and this, this, uh, this study is available online. He said, after 20 years of ministry, they realized that their process to form fully devoted followers of Jesus wasn't working as well as they had hoped it would work. And so the survey said this, I have this exact quote in my Evernote file. And it says this, this is what he said, the most powerful catalyst we found for moving people through stages of spiritual growth was reading and reflecting on scripture. The most powerful discipline for returning to unity with God is eating something daily from the word of God. Now, can I give you this thought? Listening to Jesus is good for the soul to behold truth. Listening to Jesus is good for the soul 
to behold truth. You say, Pastor, I, 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 I just feel like God's holding out on me. I, I'm talking to him, but I don't hear him talking to me. I feel like I'm getting the silent treatment. Can I just say to us this morning, as long as we have the Bible, that's simply not true. God's breathed this word to us. It's the primary way that God speaks to us. And it would take it would take hundreds of years to fully understand everything in the Bible. And for us to say, well, that's nice, God, but do you have anything else? That's sort of arrogant. God has spoken. The problem is not his voice. The problem oftentimes is our ears. We need to listen harder, listen more intently. You begin to see the glory of heaven in Scripture. If you're stuck with a hard heart this morning and you're trying to gain intimacy with God, you're trying to grow with God, can I just ask you, how well are you listening to Jesus? For some of you, this may be the only Bible you're getting throughout the week. This may be the only time you're encountering Jesus and able to listen to him. As, as This may be the only time you're getting Bible during the week. Can you imagine this morning if, if I fed my kids just one day a week? Can you imagine this morning if you don't have kids, if you, if you, if you only charged your phone one day a week? You're not too busy. Find a way to eat every day. Find a way to work most every day. Find a way to take a shower every day. You can find a way to feast on the words of God. Now listen to me. I've got to close. But I want you to remember, I'm not just proposing to you this spiritual discipline called reading the Bible. You must take it in context of this word that we use called beholding the glory of God. And when you feast on scripture, you're doing so to listen to Jesus. So feast on the word this week. Where do I start? Start in Proverbs 29. Typically most months have 30 days or 31 days. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs Read a chapter a day in Proverbs. Start somewhere and look for Jesus. Now, I'm just going to give you these next two, and I can't explain them, and I'm going to close. The first way is that we listen to Jesus. The second practice for breaking the hardness of our hearts, stoking the fires of growth, is we confess to Jesus. It's a practice that sort of has a bad stigma, but it's actually the practice that, that is able to restore us back to the state of being unashamed before God. If you remember the garden, Adam and Eve were unashamed before God. They didn't have to hide from God. The act of confession is the closest thing we have on earth to restore our souls in this moment back to the state of being unashamed before God. Confession, the third thing is this, we speak to Jesus. We listen to Jesus, we confess to Jesus, we speak to Jesus, and when I say we speak to Jesus, this is prayer. Oftentimes our prayer, we're gonna do a series on prayer coming up, but oftentimes our approach to prayer is more of a physical matter, our, our physical needs, our finances, our, our sickness, our health. But what if prayer was... Not anything less than our physical needs, but what if it was also had a priority of, of our soul? Maybe some of us need to reweight our thinking on prayer. To consider our souls in those moments. Now, I want to close this morning, and I knew I wrote way too much this morning, but it's okay. I was thinking about 
people in my life that I can just think of and I just immediately think, man, who are the people in my life that are just godly people that have, that have, it's obvious they've grown. It's obvious they're growing in their relationship with God. Can you think of those people? Can you think of who those people may be? For me, it was a guy named Jose. If you've been here a while, you've heard me talk about Jose. Jose and I met in seminary. Our first meeting was in a meeting of about 15 people going on a mission trip together. We're all around the circle sharing stories about our encounters with Jesus and talking about Jesus with other people. And as everybody went around the, 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 the circle and told their story, you could tell people would talk fast to get over with their story. They'd talk about an encounter from their distant past. But when it got to Jose, Jose, his stories were fresh. Jose had encountered Jesus that morning. He encountered Jesus that afternoon. Jose and I started meeting every week and we'd pray together, we'd read together. We'd open up the scriptures and when he would read a passage, you knew this wasn't the first time he's encountered this. When Jose would pray, there was not a single time, not one single time we ever prayed together that Jose did not weep. Why? Because he wasn't coming to God to get something from God. He was coming to God to make himself available to God. When you're in a room with a guy like Jose, when you're in a room with him, it doesn't feel stuffy. It doesn't feel religious. There's warmth, there's depth, there's, there's freedom there when you're, when you're in a room with someone like Jose. Do you know why? Because Jose has, has learned to behold Jesus. He's listened to Jesus confesses to Jesus. He, he speaks to Jesus. I want that for me. I want it for you. The question this morning is, that, do you want that for yourself? I want to pray for us this morning. We're going to sing one last song. We're going to close out. But that's the depth of growth that we desire here at Story City Church. This life is, is, is too short for more religious experiences. We want you to understand what it means to behold Jesus. And that's my prayer for you this morning. We just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm gonna pray for us. We'll sing one last song and close it out this morning. God, I pray for people in this auditorium this morning, all over the auditorium. Now, theologically, we understand this concept of growth and we know that that should be happening. But God, just practically, I would imagine that most of us in this room would say, but that's just not happening. God, would you teach us to behold you, to consider you, appreciate you, fixate our, our eyes on you. Let the weight of what we see when we read about you rest on our hearts and our minds, God. Convict us, convince us this morning that beholding precedes behaving. We need a real encounter with you, God. Lord, I pray for people in this room who are struggling this morning to grow, struggling with a hard heart. They, they, they want to live for you and be for you and be available to you, God, but their heart is hard. God, this morning, I pray by the spirit of the living God, you would begin to break that heart. Allow them to see you this morning, to behold you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.